Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm the host of the show, Neil Haley. You can go to my website, TotalTruth.net, for more information. Twitter, TotalTruth, Neil S. Haley, Facebook. LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTruth, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, and also on Periscope, at TotalTruth. Monday starts the anniversary week, six years of radio, and I continue with all these awesome sports and celebrity stars, and, and I'm excited to welcome the program, NHL legend Bernie Nichols. Bernie, thanks for calling, and how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic and uh when you look at look back at your career, when you first started in hockey, did you think that you were going to attain what you were able to attain in, in the NHL? Oh probably not. You know, I think uh uh you're just thrilled to death uh to to have the opportunity to play in the NHL and like every day is a bonus and uh you know uh, obviously, I, I felt I was gifted enough to create offense and and to be able to to generate goals and and assists and points. But uh, I probably at the end of the day didn't think I'd end up with uh, the numbers that I ended up with. So when you first put on skates, did 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 this come really easy to you? H- hockey when you first put on skates to play the sport, or was it your top thing you wanted to do when you started? Yeah, for sure. You know, I started skating when I was three years old, and uh, being Canadian, I think people think that most Canadians are born with skates on, which it, it's pretty close. Uh, and, and, you know, you play hockey all day, every day. Even in the summertime, you're playing uh, ball hockey outside. and uh, So hockey, for the most part, for me, uh, it came uh, came pretty easy. So it came pretty easy. So did your family know that you were something special early if you were skating at three and then started playing organized hockey at a certain time? Did your family say, well, this guy's going to be really special? Uh, did they well, have an idea early? Well, I think, you know, I think it's like anything. If if you're playing in a game, no matter if it's peewee, bantam, uh, whatever league you're playing in, if, if you're kind of the better player on your team and then in that league, uh, then, you know, I, I, I would imagine your parents think, well, you know, you may have something special here. Uh, and every time you step up to a different level, uh, you're still the better player. And, uh, you know, and then you, you obviously get to the point where you're in junior hockey and the next step's the NHL. And I think at that stage is probably when my parents and, and probably myself realize that, you know what, I'm, you know, one of the better players in the league here. And, 
the next step is NHL, you're going to get drafted. So uh, then you, you probably think that you got a good opportunity to make it by then. But early, you never know. You, you say that almost everyone, every boy has a dream of playing hockey early. And now we're even seeing girls, especially, uh, dream of playing hockey in Canada, it sounds like. It just seems like it's just it's a perfect fit in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when everybody thinks Canada, they think hockey. And uh, for every boy in Canada, uh, or most, um, they all love to play. And, and you know, I, I see kids every day, they go out playing and, and you know, their dream is to play in the NHL. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is there's a lot of them that their dreams to be in the NHL, but you just they just don't have the talent and chances are good they're not going to make it. But, I mean, uh, they're still playing and having fun and, and working hard. And, you know, it's okay to have dreams and it's okay to dream high. And uh, But, you know, unfortunately there's going to be a lot of kids that aren't going to make it. When I think about, Bernie, when you talk about the number of kids and the chances of making it, in the NHL, I'm sure that ultimately it's not just your talent. There has to be the right people that are training you, the right people that you, you run into, and right place and right time in the sport, correct? Would you agree in a way? Well, no. Like for the most part, I think you can't teach talent. Uh, right. Either you have it or you don't. Uh, I think uh, you can add to it. You, you know, you can uh, – uh, you know, coaches, you can have coaches that can take you to another level, but I mean, uh, you, you still have to be born with the gift of, of whatever talent that, you know, you're trying out or trying to do. So, um, I, I agree with the point that you, you, you definitely can, can have help, but I mean, like I always said, you either have it or you don't. And it's tough. You can't teach someone how to score goals. You can teach people how to work hard, you know, um, you can work hard. You can be a, a good checker. Uh, but, I mean, to to be a natural goal scorer, you, you can't teach someone how to score goals. You can kind of give them ideas, but they, they just can't see and have the vision that, that the, the goal scorers or the gifted players have. I got you. So, but the talent, um, I guess uh, hard work gets you to one place, but talent right. will take you you'll be discovered to the in top. some sort of way in hockey that's right i think it's different in other sports bernie i i think that that's good that still you guys are, are the best players are playing in the nhl i wouldn't always say that's the same case in the nba and, and nfl because of so much of a talent pool and people you know with their personal trainers or their specific people or the right connection or being discovered i guess if you're one of the top superstars it's the same rules in those other sports but I guess in hockey, it's good to know, you know, the best talented players play in the NHL, and, and, and that, that's that, that's tremendous to say. The well, least. you know, who would you say? Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, you know, football, for example, or, or even basketball, you see your elite players, right? Like, uh, if you go basketball, for example, Magic Johnson, uh, how he's seen. Uh, the court, you know, a, a quarterback in football. You always say great players, Wayne Gretzky. You, you're great players. The, the, you know, play slows down for them. You know, you can have a talented player that doesn't have vision, doesn't have, uh, you know, good hockey sense or good football sense or some. Uh, you can have a quarterback that has an arm that can throw. Uh, you know, the length of the football field. But when he gets under center, when he goes back, he looks up and and he sees, you know. 20 guys in black coming at him 
where a Peyton Manning, a, a Brady, uh, a great quarterback, they, they go back and it, it slows down for them. You know, they, they see the field. Uh, great hockey players see the ice. They, they see players. Right. It, it, the, the game slows down for them. And I know, you know, sports people have heard that before where the play slows down for great athletes, great people that have great vision. And, you know, there's other people, like I say, that can have a tremendous amount of talent, but they, they don't see the ice. They don't see the football field as well as uh, other players. So when you're talking about, again, the, the game slowing down for you, that's very interesting. Yes. You were able to slow it down. So you had that. When did you see that you were able to do that, that you had that ability, you were able to do that? Well, I think, you know, that's one of uh, the best, the better qualities that I had as a player. Uh, I, I had great vision. You know, I even go out with guys, even when I was working with the Kings in uh, 2012, they're still great players that don't see the ice as good as others. You know, like right. that's absolutely a gift. And the same with basketball, you know, a sport like that where you, there's a lot of passing going on. Uh, you know, certain players, it slows down that they see they see better uh, where, like I say, I've seen great hockey players that guys are open and, and they don't see them. They don't. They don't have the, the hockey sense uh, that there should be someone there and to get your head up and, and get looking or just see it out of the, the corner of your eye or something. So, uh, you know, fortunately I had that. Uh, I, I feel to this day when I go skating, I, you know, you see guys that uh, aren't nearly as gifted. It's like they got blinders on. They just see straight ahead. They don't know who's around them or anything. And it's funny sometimes, but, you know, you just notice the quality of players that have better vision. Very, very interesting. And it's that, that's where you, the vision is huge because if you can't see that, that other player wide open so that you can get the puck, the, right. the, the puck in the net and make that great that's pass. Right. And that's what's so yeah. great about hockey, Bernie, I would say. It's such an unselfish sport. You see sports where, honestly, I'm not knocking LeBron James, but you saw in the NBA Finals last year, he pretty much took the whole team himself on. Right. And there was not – you can't do that in hockey. You can have no. a game like that. But it's such a team sport that you guys really award assists more than basketball would ever. And by giving you points and really honoring the players that know how to pass the puck. Yeah, and and I always say that, um, you know, and I can only really go by hockey because that was my sport. But you, you see the great teams that they're so deep, you know, they're so close as as players. They they're not selfish, you know. They have as just as much excitement uh, watching someone else score, uh, giving someone else a puck to score, whatever it takes to be successful. Uh, you know that that's that's kind of the mentality that you would have. Uh, you, you have to you have to share the wealth, so to speak. You have to have everybody playing at a, at a high level, but contributing, uh, helping out. Uh, you know, with a hockey player, if if you're just kind of a puck hog or someone that you know, like, and I'm not saying LeBron James is a ball hog or whatever, right. but you know, no. they yeah. cover him, and then what? Who who's he going to give the ball to? You know, he's got nobody. So in hockey, if you have that one great player that you know he does it all himself, well, you, you get a good good checker or two players go check this guy then the game's over he's got no one to give the, the puck to and uh, and there's no chance of them being successful all right so basically uh you started your uh nhl career with what team did you start with la kings nine LA years kings. Okay, yeah. nine years 
And that's so Bernie playing in L.A. Especially yeah. when you talk about Canada compared to L.A., it's nothing yeah. like it. Especially the franchise at that point didn't have, you know, it was before Gretzky. So right. it, I guess you got to say before Gretzky, how was uh, the L.A. Kings as a fan base compared to now? You know, it's unbelievable how crazy hockey is in L.A. But at that oh, time, yeah. Yeah, like we, there was wasn't San Jose, there wasn't Anaheim. Uh, there was just the LA King. You know what? In fairness, to LA, we when I first got there, and, and you got to remember, my hometown. There may be seventy-five people in my hometown. I came from maybe oh the smallest God. town in Canada to the largest city in the U.S. I went to LA, and uh, you know, you got palm trees. Like you know, I grew up skating on on frozen ponds outside. Uh, you know, and then you go and you got palm trees at 70 degrees. Uh, so obviously a bit of a culture shock, but uh, I've always said, uh, and, and like I said, L.A. had, we had 12,000 dedicated, loyal uh, fans were awesome. Obviously Gretz came uh, and then, you know, it sold out. Right? It sold out to this day every night. L.A. has tremendous Sports fans and and hockey fans, uh, the LA Kings are sold out. They're sold out every game. They you know they have tremendous talent, obviously. But I mean, still, uh, people pay a lot of money to go to hockey games. But we have great fans in LA, and uh, they, they support it. Uh, but getting back to playing, you know, I've always said playing in warm weather. Uh, I, I played in Edmonton. In, in Canada, I remember after a game, you, the guys would be starting their trucks from the rink uh, and letting it warm up for 20 minutes before you go outside. You know, after a game in L.A., it's 70 degrees, you go outside, it's beautiful, and it's better for your body. So L.A. Was, is a great place to play hockey. So, again, the story in L.A. is you saw the growth of that organization. How, how long, when you were drafted by the Kings and started playing for them, the franchise was not that old yet, was it? I, I'm not really familiar with the L.A. Kings history, the franchise. No, uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure when, when they started in the 70s, I think. So they hadn't been around uh, for that long. Uh, and, you know, like I said, coming from Canada, you, you get hockey night in Canada every Saturday night, Toronto yeah. Police or Montreal Canadiens. Honestly, when, when I got the call when I was drafted, I had no idea. L.A. Kings, you know, who's there? Uh, I hardly ever seen them play, or maybe I've never seen them play. So, um, But as a player, you're just thrilled to death. You get drafted, doesn't matter where you go. I think uh, as a player – when you get drafted, you hope that the team that drafted you isn't loaded in the position you play because obviously you want to be able to make the team. And for me, I was fortunate they had, you know, the great Marcel Dion. And, and after that, right. it was, uh, you know, there was an opportunity for me. So that worked out really well. Okay, so we um, basically, you're there um, with the Kings and the, process, the, 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 the team starts to get better and the crowds get bigger. And you did get the chance to play with Gretzky in L.A. then, correct? I did. I played with Wayne yeah. for a year and a half. So that is when the, the, the change of the uniforms and the change of the atmosphere of the Kings, right? Once they acquired Wayne, you're like, wow, we are going to be a, a great franchise. You already see yes. the opportunities of winning. Because before Wayne came, were you guys winning? We, uh, not really. Um uh, we've made the playoffs uh, most of the time. 
Uh, I think we've only advanced past the first round maybe once or twice. Uh, but other than that, uh, we were kind of middle-of-the-road kind of a team. Okay. Because, again, I'm I'm a hockey fan because the Penguins. I was a huge fan when Gretzky was acquired by the LA Kings. Because at that yeah. age, I thought, I said to myself, wow, you know, L.A., the, how they were making this team that you never thought could win in hockey, they acquired Gretzky. And, I mean, L.A. went on fire, but the whole the whole uh, United States was so – NHL fans were going crazy getting acquiring his jersey once he went to L.A. What a change. You think he'd always be an Edmonton Oiler, you know, and then he, he became a king. And it just kind of just transformed hockey. I think that was one of the biggest moves to build the mainstream by bringing him to L.A. Oh, no question. You know, and, and the, the great thing about the L.A. fans is they got to see Wayne play a lot because he played in Edmonton. That was one of our rivalries. So uh, mm-hmm. they watched Wayne. And, uh, you know, the thing about Wayne being traded is Wayne's arguably the greatest hockey player to ever play the game like Michael right. Jordan, uh, Babe Ruth, what, whatever sport you want to talk about, you wouldn't think that a Michael Jordan would get traded. You wouldn't think the greatest of them all would get traded. Well, it happened, and fortunately for us and, and fortunately for the L.A. Uh, fans, Wayne came to, to L.A., and, uh, you know, from then on you get celebrities. It was the, the hot ticket in, in L.A. Right. Uh, you know, uh, got to come and watch the great one play, and, uh, we got a lot of celebrities come out, a lot of, a lot of fans. The place is sold every night. The old forum uh, was awesome. So um, having Wayne come to L.A. was was great for hockey. I think it added, you know, two more teams in California. You get uh, San Jose, you get um, uh, Anaheim. So I think thanks to Wayne, uh, he put hockey on the map in, in the state of California. So Wayne's acquired – and you already were playing great. What, what you, you already had uh, broke uh, the team record, correct, and uh, goals before Wayne even was acquired, correct? I broke that record the year Wayne was there. Oh, well, Wayne was there. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm reading, I'm reading Wikipedia. I apologize for that. Uh, oh, no problem. Mess up. No, no. Uh, so that's amazing. So how did Wayne make you better? I mean, and then we talk about well, your career yet, phenomenal career, but what, what was it that – Putting Wayne with that team and how things well, I, and, and how yeah, I, I think you know great players bring the best out of everybody as far as that goes. You know, uh, right. Wayne and I were both centermen, so I didn't necessarily get to play with Wayne on the same line per se, but I got to play with him a lot. We played power play together. We played, uh, we killed penalties together. Uh, but just having the opportunity to have Wayne there, uh, obviously Wayne's going to get probably the better check in line. Uh, the better defensive centerman to, to check him, so it's going to open it up for me uh, being a second line centerman. So uh, just having Wayne around is going to add so much, um, but it, it's so exciting as a player to have the opportunity to play with him. You know, you want to go out and do your best for for him every night as well too. So uh, it makes it easy. All right, so it made it easy, and then to, to be able to do that, and then people are looking at you and saying, holy cow, look at Bernie Nichols. 
he's just he's, he's dominating as well as Wayne's dominating. And what a team this is becoming. And how far did you guys go that the one year before you got before you got traded from the Kings? Was it the best franchise year they did? Getting close. Well, they went farther uh, mm-hmm. a few years later, but um, that year we actually played Edmonton in the first round, and it was it was awesome because that was the big rival. We just get traded Wayne, so obviously it was hard for Wayne going back into Edmonton, but uh, we're actually down three games to one and came back and beat them in seven games, and we won the seventh game in, in L.A. at the Forum. So uh, that was a really exciting year for everybody. All right, so... How did you feel? And then again, your career—you've done well. You're with the same team when you left the Kings to be traded. How did that? I mean, what was your thought process in that all when that happened? And then did you well, you're York, devastated. Another big city. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it doesn't matter where you go. Obviously, going to New York was great, but I mean, uh, getting traded for the first time absolutely sucks. Uh, yeah. I just actually bought a house uh, oh. in. And I actually went to the owner. I went to Bruce McNall and, and said, look, because I just signed a, a big deal after I had my big year. And I said, you know, I, I want to uh, buy a house. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. He said, I'll never trade you. <laughs> Three months later, I get traded. So uh, that didn't go over. But you ended up with the Rangers, so you got to, you got to play in the garden as a home play, home team. And the, there's nothing like Madison Square Garden, is it, for hockey? No, that- uh, the places I've played, uh, going to New York uh, was amazing. Having the opportunity to play in Madison Square Gardens, New York, for the Rangers was great. Uh, so if you had to go anywhere, uh, New York was a pretty good place to go. Definitely. So you, you went to the furthest in your career with the Rangers then, right? Second round of the playoffs, correct? The furthest place? Well, I, I went to the semifinals uh, with Chicago twice, uh, Edmonton. After I get traded to New York, Edmonton, and, and New Jersey. So I've been to the semifinals four times. So that's But at that point, it was, it was same, about the same as the Kings. Meaning, so you were a lot of part of playoff hockey, but you never won a Stanley Cup. And how does right. that feel? In, in, in your, again, again, Stanley Cup's what you guys dream about in Canada, that's right? That's right. Yeah. To win the Cups. Yeah, you, you play. Uh, that's what you play for, having the opportunity uh, and, and not winning it. It was tough, you know. Uh, I was fortunate to, to be uh, one of the coaches with L.A. when they won it in 2012. Uh, oh, I always said uh, it's second best. You know, it was an amazing run, having the opportunity, understanding what players were going through. Uh, but saying that, I couldn't imagine how great it would feel to be a player and win it. So after hockey, you ended up being a coach. Uh, what's going on with you right now? Are you still coaching at all, or have you uh, stopped coaching altogether? I've stopped coaching. Uh, I was with the Kings for a couple years. Uh, now I've uh, kind of ventured into a uh, another project. We got uh, – I don't know if you know who uh, uh, Zach Ward is. He's used to play uh, Scott Fargus on The Christmas Story. Uh, yeah, he's coming we're on working the show re- later today. I'm excited about that. So yeah, uh, that's yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're kind of working right now. Uh, change the the California Constitution to create a, a whole new uh, economy in sports. Uh, so uh, you know that, and, and by doing that, I think we can benefit a lot of people. Uh, I, I've been through a concussion thing right now. Uh, you know, some charity stuff. So I think uh, if we can 
uh, do this, I think uh, we can benefit a lot, and uh, I think the people uh, will really enjoy it. So explain that, the, a, new, a new economy in sports. What's that meaning? Explain the whole process, what would happen if this happened in California. Well, we're, uh, we're, you can go to uh, thesportsvote.com, uh, and it, it will kind of explain everything, what we're doing. And then uh, who would you say now – Let's talk about your greatest moment with some of these teams. Let's first okay. go with the Kings. Well, you know, uh, just playing in the NHL is a thrill. Uh, I think my greatest moment as a King, uh, obviously scoring 70 goals uh, was as good as it gets. Playing with Wayne Gretzky. Uh, you know, having the opportunity to play with Wayne, I only played with him for a year and a half. I, I, I said before, I can't imagine playing with him for ten years. It would just, uh, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Playing with Wayne, and you talked about Wayne as making you better. But what about as a teammate in relationship, mentoring, teaching you the game more? Would was he that kind of a, of a player as well as a leader in that way? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, Wayne's, Wayne's skills are, are second to none, obviously. You know, uh, you can learn a lot from just watching Wayne. Wayne, Wayne wasn't the uh, vocal leader. Uh, he kind of more of a leader on the ice, you know, kind of he, he'd go work hard and uh, every game, you know, you'd learn more from him. He wasn't the kind of rah-rah type in, in the locker room yelling and screaming. He was just, he was quiet. You know, I think uh, other people would kind of lead that way, but Wayne just led by example. Uh, and most of your great players, that's the way they are. Definitely. Uh, the, 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 and that, that's leading by example. Is, was he a quiet guy or was he really a vocal guy in the locker room? No, Wayne was quiet. You know, I always say to people, uh, there's not a bigger thrill. Like, Wayne would come over to me. I don't know what he did to anybody else, you know. Just privately, we'd just be getting ready to go. He'd kind of just tap you on the knee pads or something and say, hey, we need you tonight. And it's like, wow, okay, I'm there, you know. So it was, it was really kind of cool. How about yourself? Were you vocal or quiet? Um, I could get vocal at times. Um, you know, I think you try to hold everybody accountable uh, if you're not playing well. Uh not necessarily, you never center anybody out, you know, uh, you, you kind of uh, make it collectively as a team, uh, but I think the individuals know that, you know what, I can be better, uh, so uh, I have no problem uh, being vocal that way. Gotcha, gotcha. Another great moment with, let's kind of, let's go with uh I guess, what was your greatest moment in hockey next to playing for Wayne? Um, you know, I think playing in Chicago, uh, playing in New York. I, I played with some great players, uh, Chris Chelios in, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, I always said to play with one player my whole career, he would be one guy that you'd, you'd love to play with. You know, just a, a great competitor, uh, worked hard as anybody I've ever seen, uh, both on and off the ice. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of, uh, great memories or, or whatever, it's just opportunity to play with a lot of different people, you know, your teammates, 
the opportunity uh, of, of meeting a lot of great people and, and, and having great teammates is is uh, a lot of fun. Playing in front of, you know, 18, 20,000 people every night is is a thrill. Uh, you know, that, that's a lot of fun. Definitely. And uh, do you look to ever go back to coaching? Well, you know what? I absolutely love it. I, I love helping kids. I, I, I love being a part of it. Uh, I do a lot of hunting in the fall. Uh, we we guide. We uh, that's kind of a passion of mine. So it's very difficult to uh, to ask a, a team if I can just come from January <laughs> on. You know, it worked out so well because when uh, when I went with the Kings in 2012, when they won the first cup. Uh, Daryl Sutter just got hired because they fired their coach, and I I played for Daryl a couple times. Uh, I asked him if I'd come out and help. He said absolutely. So uh, that year, and then the year after that was the lockout year, so they didn't start again until January. So uh, the coaching for me worked out perfect. I got to coach half a year both years. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. But you love hunting, so. That's the hardest yeah. to give that up, right? It's just something that gives you peace, Bernie, for sure, with the yeah. the, 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 the normal the, the the everyday grind of the NHL season, which can be very grinding and such a such a long, long season. How do you want to be right. remembered, Bernie, in the NHL? What would you say? You in know your what? Career? How do you want to be remembered? Well, I think if uh, I think people know that uh I, I had i had so much fun uh playing i i loved the game i was passionate towards the game i think if people just think you know what it was a guy that he he worked hard he had fun at what he did uh but he competed as hard as anybody every night and you know uh if if they think of me that way then that's kind of the way i would would like to have it and how do you want the NHL game to continue, especially when we saw last year with lack of scoring? Do you want the NHL to be when you play where it was more wide open, or what is your favorite style of hockey? Well, you know what? I think the way hockey's going is great. Uh, kids now, they're, they're so big and strong and, and fast. Um, scoring, scoring's hard. You know, goaltenders nowadays are so good. Um, you know, because goal, because the scoring's down. You know, that that's all right. That that's part of the game. Don't don't change the nets or make the goalies' equipment smaller. Make it tough to score. It should be tough to score. So, uh, I like what they're doing. They they added three on three in overtime. They get shootouts. It's it's fun. But there's nothing better than than a playoff hockey game, even if it's two one or, or three two. You know, most playoff games are, are low scoring anyway. So to have it. Uh, to try to add scoring in the regular season, it, it shouldn't matter. Leave it the way it is. It should be hard to score. Uh, there's still a lot of talented players out there, but uh, goaltenders are just so good right now, and, and, and so be it. Uh, it. It should be hard to score, and, and, and that's fine. All right. Well, great. Is there a best place to find information? You talked about uh, what, you're, what you're doing with the new sports economy. Is there any, is that, what, what website can you get for information on that? Yeah. They can go to uh, thesportsvote.com, and they can get all the information. I, I appreciate you you plugging that for me. Oh, you're welcome, and I look forward to talking to Zach today and find out how yeah. you guys connected. When you first met him, thinking about the Christmas story, that you probably thought that was really cool, right? I'm sure you grew That's up right. watching that yeah. movie as well. That's right. I mean, when I heard about that, I said, oh, my gosh, 
the stories of going back to that movie and to show that you played in that movie exacted and every day forever it'll be playing for probably as oh, long yeah. as there's television. That's <laughs> it's right. Every, it's on it's on at everybody's house during Christmas. Everybody's yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So, so cool. All right, well, it's cool, Bernie, but I guess especially if you're ever in L.A., you're gonna, you never know who you run into in L.A. because there's actors walking, running around everywhere, right? It's pretty much That's uh, right. You, That's you, it. you don't know who's the next person you're going to be. Well, best of yeah. luck. Do you have a website at all, Bernie, or anything for you? Uh, well, I, I'm at uh, Bernie Nichols 9 on Twitter or Facebook, so uh, you can get me, get me there. All right. Well, Bernie, thanks again. I appreciate you taking the time, and best of luck to you. You got it. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Okay, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave segment. I'm excited to welcome the program first, my co-host, Caregiver Dave. Uh, Dave, thanks for calling again. We just continue to have unbelievable celebrity interviews, don't we? (laughs) Yes, we do. So we're talking to Dale Wilkes. Wrestler. Dale, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Good. Hey, let's start right off. Uh, did you always want to be a pro wrestler? I mean, were, were you really obsessed with pro wrestling back in the olden black and white days on television? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, um, I was born and raised and still live in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, oh, wow. as a kid... As a kid, I would watch wrestling, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, every Saturday. And uh, went to my first live match uh, when I was 10 years old here in Columbia. And uh, just fell in love with it. And uh, truly, as a kid, there were two things that just absolutely, probably every waking fault of mine was football and pro wrestling. And uh, I was very fortunate. I got to... I got to play football at my university, the University of South Carolina, and I also got to live out the dream of becoming a pro wrestler. So pretty lucky dude to be able to do both of those same things yeah, that I my, dreamed of my, doing as a my kid. My father was born in uh, Florence, South Carolina. So who were some okay. of the big names back in those days? As uh, far as the wrestlers? Yeah, when you were yeah. a kid. All the guys that I grew up watching uh, were Wahoo, and, of course, Flair was around then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here in Mid-Atlantic, we got Wahoo and Johnny Weaver, uh, Abe Jacobs. Um, we got uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe came through the Carolinas. Uh, on Saturday nights, I could get Florida Championship Wrestling, and uh, I'd see Dory Funk and uh, Terry Funk and uh, – uh, Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson. As a matter of fact, the very first match I went to live, I can tell you the main event. I can't tell you anything else about the card because I was 10 years old. That was 46 years ago. But the main event was Jack and Jerry Briscoe against Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson. Wow. And, uh, man, those guys were larger than life to me. It was just mesmerizing just watching those guys in the ring. Guys I had watched on TV. And finally, I had a chance to see them in person, and and they were John Wayne to me. Yeah. You know, in those days, everyone used to criticize that wrestling was fake. Uh, Was it less fake or more fake back in those days? (laughs) I don't know that that it was less or more. It's always been entertainment. That's what it's always been about. Now, back in those days, certainly – 
Yeah, and in those days, the business was more protected as they tried to pass it off as a legitimate contest. Uh-huh. You know, about 25 years ago, pro wrestling and Vince McMahon leading the way to look, folks, we're strictly entertainment. Um, we're entertainment just like a movie, just like a ballet, just like a, a play, just like a concert. We're entertainment. But back in those days, uh, the business, uh, those yeah. in the business, did try to protect the business and present it, you know, more legitimate as an actual fight between two guys that really hated each other. <laughs> now, Dell, that's interesting. So interesting you talk about that process. When you were a kid at ten, did you know? Or you you had questions if it was if it was again fixed or not fixed, and I hate we're hearing the word fake, and I think they will find out from a former pro wrestler, not as big as Dell was, height wise I was bigger than Dell, but honestly, you know, growing up understanding this business, it is the most painful business. You can't use the word fake. I would say fixed entertainment acting. We're like stuntmen, right, Dell, that go through the worst stunts in the world and we never get someone to take our spot for the stunts, right? Absolutely. And I want to slap the taste out of somebody's mouth when they say (laughs) fake. And I always let people know when they use that term around me that they couldn't be further from the truth. You're exactly right. It's entertainment. That's exactly what it is. But Uh, As a result of a fake business, as some people would like to call it, I've had 15 surgeries. Now, I don't consider that a fake business. It's entertainment. It's very (laughs) physical entertainment. But there's nothing fake about the surgical scars that I carry on my body. But back to your question about at 10 years old, oh, no, that was as real to me as Santa Claus. I mean, I didn't, would have never even thought crossed my mind. I thought Wahoo hated uh, Johnny Valentine, and I thought the Briscoe brothers wanted to kill Rip Hawkins, Sweet Hans, and it was real to me. It was as real as the air that I breathe and the flesh on my bones. I, uh, I bet you're very similar to stuntmen, you know, because stuntmen are basically, you know, trying to make something look more dangerous than it is, but they've got some scars, and sometimes it goes wrong. Oh, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, when you're a pro- professional wrestler and that is your sole source of income. That is how you provide for your family and, mm-hmm. and pay your bills. You're a combination of many things. Uh, at times, you're almost like a truck driver because of all the miles you put behind the <laughs> steering wheel getting from one town to the next. You're also a weightlifter or a bodybuilder because of all the time you spend yeah. in the gym getting your body to look good. And then you're an entertainer uh, at night when you're at work. And after work, you live like a rock star. So you're a combination of a lot of things yeah. when you're a pro wrestler. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, Neil, i got to ask him this question. Forgive me. Sure. But uh, please tell me your opinion of Andy Kaufman and that, that whole spiel he did, you know, with, with the pro wrestling deal. I'd love to get well, your take I on actually, that. I, I feel different about it today than I did then, back then. Uh, or or of a guy just breaking into the business. Uh, I didn't view it the same way I view it now. Now I view it as actual genius. I think he did a great job. Uh, I think he did a great job in in, uh, irritating the fan base and making them (laughs) mad and making them want to see Jerry Lawler beat him up and hurt him. Uh, So I, I say there was a lot of comedic genius put into that. Yeah. It definitely brought attention to the sport. Uh, That's what I would do. It was a great story. And everyone needs to watch the documentary, Lawler 
and Kaufman, and also again, the, again, the the uh, Carrie movie was really good as well. One of those great ones to talk about wrestling. Now, Dell, uh, you again played college football. So, what position did you play in college? I was an offensive guard. Okay, interesting. I, uh, I, I played at the University of South Carolina uh, from 1980 to 1984, and. Uh, had some really special years there. My freshman year, 1980, uh, I got the block for a Heisman Trophy winning, winning running back, George Rogers. Um, yeah. Probably the greatest football player to ever play at the University of South Carolina. Won the Heisman Trophy my freshman year, his senior year. And then I finished up my career at South Carolina in 1984 uh, as a uh, captain of that team, the most valuable player on that team. Uh, and at that point, we were the uh, the first team in school history to win 10 games. At one point that year, we were ranked second in the nation, had a shot to play for a national championship and screwed that up the ninth game or the 10th game of the year. But I also was very fortunate in that I was the first team consensus All-American that year. So had some very special years at the University of South Carolina playing football there. Well, Dan, let me ask you, what, when was it, what were some of the events leading up to you deciding, okay, I want to do this, and did the Patriot gimmick come in right at the beginning, or did that come later? You know, walk us through that. Well, what led me to want to, to get into this business is um, uh, I had a buddy of mine that attended the Citadel, a military school in Charleston, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, a big guy, uh, you know, big muscle muscled up guy and he had the gift of gab and big wrestling fan like myself. And so we had decided about my sophomore year in college that whenever football ended for me, whether it was after college or maybe after a few years in the NFL, the next thing I was going to do was pursue a career in pro wrestling. And he was going to, you know, break into the business with me. And we did break in in 1986. I, um, I signed with the Buccaneers. In 1985, uh, traded to the Falcons in 1986, and then the Falcons released me prior to the start of the 86 season. So that's when I put football in my rearview mirror, came back to South Carolina, and went through a school here in Columbia, my hometown, that trained professional wrestlers. Hmm. Uh, The school was owned and operated by the fabulous Moolah, one of the most famous lady wrestlers of all time. And... uh, and then just work my way up from there. Uh, but the Patriot character didn't come about until 1991 when I went to work with the Global Wrestling Federation. Prior to that, uh, I did a character called the Trooper, a sort of a highway patrol-looking character, <laughs> you know, with the Smokey the Bear hat and the belt and the handcuffs and the flashlight and the badge and all that stuff. But um, I went to work for Global in 1991, and we thought it would be a good idea because our military had gone into Kuwait uh, to liberate Kuwait when Iraq had invaded Kuwait, and we thought we could take advantage of uh, just that fever pitch of of national pride that always goes on early on in a situation like that. And, and, uh, you know, uh, the nation was behind our military and behind the first President Bush when we went into Kuwait and liberated Kuwait. And, And so we thought, man, what a great opportunity to come out with a patriotic who came up with it who was the person that came up with a gimmick for you in global and did you ever think that it would get so over that that the wwf would pick this up because a lot of times when you get signed with wwf it doesn't happen like that 
that they got so over that you were really the poster child for America for a long time with this gimmick? Well, I would like to take credit for the idea, but it wasn't my idea. I was working for the AWA for Vern Gagne and working as a character called the Trooper, and the AWA went out of business. Now, we were on ESPN five days a week, Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock. Uh, after the AWA folded, this upstart company came along called the Global Wrestling Federation. They contacted me about coming to work for them. Their very first TV taping was going to be in Dallas, Texas at the old Sportatorium. As a matter of fact, the Sportatorium was sort of our headquarters. It was where we taped all of our TV shows. So they sent me a ticket, and I flew out, and I flew out with my trooper gear. Nobody said anything different to me. Get your gear. We want you there for the first TV taping. So I thought I was going to be working as a trooper. And about four hours before we started taping that night, before the doors opened and the people came into the building, Bill Eady and Joe Petticino and Bonnie Blackstone, they were the sort of the brain trust of the Global yeah. Wrestling Federation, approached me with the idea of this character. As a matter of fact, they had the tights, the trunks, uh, and a mask in a brown paper bag, like an old grocery bag. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget it sitting in uh, Bill Eady's motel room. Bonnie opened up that brown paper bag, and she pulled out these red, white, and blue tights and a red, white, and blue mask and red, white, and blue trunks. And they laid this idea out to me. And uh, I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. And uh, that night, when I walked down the aisle and walked through the curtain, that building erupted. Those people had never seen that character before, but it uh -huh. was immediate, just an immediate, unbelievable, re unbelievable reaction. Patriotism was uh, high back just, then. Yes, it, it really was, and it just sent my career, you know, on just a, a straight up arch. I mean, it just really, really, my career really took off there, and uh, I was able to go all over the world with the character, uh, work for the WWF, and I was. It was a little unusual. Usually when you go to work for Vince, Vince wants himself or his creative team to create a character for you. Very seldom do you bring your own character into the WWF and keep it. But uh, I was able to do that with the Patriot character. And uh, it was always, no matter if I was in Japan or overseas in Europe or in the States, uh, it was just always well-received. Hey, Dal, did you, did you actually know personally uh, the Hulk or the Rock or Andre the Giant? Yeah, knew all those guys. I, uh, did you fight them? I, worked, uh, I spent several years working in Japan for All Japan Pro Wrestling, and Andre did several tours with us. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, uh, I've worked tag matches with Andre. I've worked tag matches against Andre. Uh, when I was in WCW in the mid-'90s, uh, Hogan was there as well, so... I know Hogan, and when I was in the WWF at the end of my career, me and Rock and D'Lo Brown traveled together. We uh, wow. we drove together. We uh, we went everywhere together. We worked out together. We ate together. We <laughs> we uh, the three of us were always together. Now this was before the Rock days. He was still Rocky Maivia, uh -huh. and uh, mm -hmm. you know just getting into that Rock character. But yep, spent spent a lot of time with him on the road. So tell us about life after wrestling. Well, it's been interesting. It uh, There's been some ups and downs, and uh, I, my career ended uh, because of a, of a pretty severe injury. And uh, so How old were you? In the way I, huh? How old were you? Well, I was 
I was, let me see, 101. I was 30, 39 years old when I had my last match, I guess. Um, yeah, 38 or 39 years old. And, That's pretty young uh, for a wrestler, huh? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it was, uh, I, I didn't intend to have to stop then, but when your body basically sort of fails you and gives yeah. out on you, and you're unable to, uh, you know, that body is what makes you your money. And when you yeah. can't count on it to deliver anymore, it's over. That should and, that uh, should solve the uh, the fake uh, wrestling criticism because your your body really takes a beating. Yes, absolutely, uh, a, a big time beating. And so what, uh, what are you doing I, today? I, I have been in uh, automobile sales for 13 years now. I uh, I'm at a Nissan dealership in my hometown. And uh, it's been a tremendously good business for me. Um, it, it's really been great. I mean, I, uh, I, I've, you know, sort of a hometown guy done well here in Columbia, yeah. South Carolina. All you American promote the Patriot player. character with uh, television commercials, you know, like I see some of these guys doing that. That'd be awesome. We have done that in the past. Uh, and and it's, always, it's always very helpful. Um, you know, a lot of times when somebody walks into a, showroom of a car dealership, their defense is up, their shield's up. Uh, you know, they just a little cautious and a little leery, but yeah. I've got pictures of my wrestling career in my office, pictures of my football career, and it's always a good icebreaker. It, it allows you to get your mind off business and talk about other things and just build some rapport with a customer. So it's cool. it served me very well. Plus, you know, I've got good name recognition here in the state of South Carolina. Yeah. So, the entrepreneurship end of things, Dell, were you ready for that transition, you know, from on the road all the time and a lot of things you had to take care of your body, but a lot of things were taken care of for you when you were on the road then to now making more decisions. Was that a challenge? It was. And, and I'll tell you, it's funny. All those years I spent on the road, uh, you know, I had a wife and a family and, and uh, I was gone all the time and I'd come home for a few days and leave again and, Sometimes for three or four weeks at a time, I'd be gone and I wouldn't see my family. But when it ended the way it ended, rather abruptly because of the injury, all of a sudden I was home all the time. And, uh, you know, I wasn't used to the way things were, had been done at the house. And uh, <laughs> so it, 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 it created some problems between my wife and I because we had never known life that way, being together all the time. And as a, we eventually ended up divorcing. Uh, as a result of that, uh, everything we had known was me being gone and her running the house. And all of a sudden, I don't have anywhere to go anymore. And uh, it just didn't work very well. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Changes are difficult. Oh, they are. Okay. They, it's hard for couples to get used to changes when things happen, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's easy to get along when you don't live together, actually. Yeah. And uh, when, when you're apart all the time and you're together for a a few days at a time and you leave and, but all of a sudden you're together 24 hours a day because I went through a number of surgeries, uh, you know, after my career ended. So it was probably about almost two years before I did anything, uh, you know, uh, as far as another career or, or get into another line of work. And you still uh, deal with so a lot of pain today. I do. I, I, I certainly do. I still live with the effects of, of what I've done to my body. And uh, any regrets? I'll tell you this. Any regrets? 
No, I was. That's what I was getting ready to say. I wouldn't change it. I, I would do some things different, obviously, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into another line of work. I'm man. Listen, I lived a dream. I got to do what I wanted to do as a kid. What I dreamed of doing as a teenager. I got to do it. I got to do it all over the world, and I got to do it with great people and people I had watched on TV, people that were my heroes and my idols as a teenager and a young boy. And got to make those friendships, and no, I, I would, I'd go through those fifteen surgeries again to be able to do Worth what the I got. Pain, to do. Huh? Yeah. So, Dell, yeah, give absolutely. me your greatest moment in college football and your greatest moment in pro wrestling. Greatest moment in college football, without a doubt, was my senior year in 1984. Um, Clemson is our big rival at the University of South Carolina. And uh, we had not beaten Clemson during my entire time at South Carolina. And in 1984, we went to Clemson the last game of the year to play them uh, in Death Valley, as they call their home. And we were down 21 to 3 right before the half. We scored a touchdown right before the half to make it 21 to 10. And we scored a touchdown with about 30 seconds left in the game to win 22 to 21 over our hated arch rival, the Clemson Tigers, the greatest moment of my college football career. And I would say probably the greatest moment moment of my wrestling career. Um, there were a couple big important moments that when things happened, it made me realize I had a chance of having a good career. But I'd say probably my biggest moment was uh, beating Brett uh, Hart on uh, on Raw Monday night back in 1998, I think it was, and uh, sort of shocked the wrestling world, and uh, which it led to a big angle with Brett and I, the, uh, the big American-Canadian feud. So that was probably the highlight of my career. Exactly. And then that's very, very interesting. So you have that, that's your dealership, but what else? You're also doing autograph signings, personal appearances still and stuff, right? Is that correct, Del? That's, that is correct. Uh, still do those. Uh, matter of fact, next month we'll be in New York, um, upstate New York for a comic convention up there. And, uh, so still do a lot of uh, personal appearances, um, get out, Get around the wrestling fans are great fans, man. I tell you, they're the greatest fans, I think, on the face of the earth. So it's always good to be able to be around them and just uh, share your experiences with them. And listen, they know more about my career than, than I do. And that's that's how wrestling fans are. They, you know, they know about their favorite wrestlers and, and important moments in their career. And of course, it's always good to be around the guys again. You know, we're all a lot older now. And we look a lot different than we did in our heyday, but it's still good yeah. to be able to get back together. Yeah, but you look the same in your Patriot outfit, don't you? I tell you, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day, for for about 14 years, I made a living without a shirt every night. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't pay me good money to take my shirt off in public now. Oh, things, have, yeah. things have really changed. <laughs> now, Del, well, let's talk about, like, uh, you know, the, the particulars. Uh, any other goals entrepreneur-wise that you want to attain? In your career, life after sports, what are you? What goals do you have as an entrepreneur? Well, I tell you, my goals now are retirement. Uh, <laughs> uh, just hopefully a few years down the road. I I have got two granddaughters. One of them's two and a half. The other's a year and a half. And I want to spend time with them. It's amazing when you become a grandparent how things just change for you and. Uh, now that is what I enjoy doing with my free time. I've never hunted. I've never fished. I've never golfed. 
I've never done things like that. I was always with my family and my kids. And now every free minute I've got, I want to be with my granddaughters. So I'm looking forward to retirement down the road, not too far down the road, so I can spend more time with them and just be with my family and travel and take those kids places and do things with them. Fabulous. Now, Dave is a caregiver, and Dave has a caregiving question for you. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, Dale, sure. you're old enough to have your parents like uh, start entering that age where maybe they need some care. Uh, have you ever uh, thought about what's, what's coming their way or what's uh, happening with you if one day you may have to be their caregiver? You know, I, I, I'm fortunate that both of my parents are still alive. They're divorced and have been for a while. Uh, my dad is 79, my mom's 77, and they're in excellent health, oh, very good health, great. still very active. So, But I have thought about eventually one day there may come a time when I have to do that. And, and yeah. as a matter of fact, speaking of a caregiver, I have a sister that uh, has special needs. She lives mm. with my mother. She's 41 now, my sister is. So one day, if nature takes its progressive course, when my mom passes, then it will be up to me to take care of my sister. She has to have, you know, she can't yeah. live by herself and live on her own. So she'll always need someone with her. And uh, I, I, one day I always tell people, you know, me. caregiving is coming. You know, there's no escaping it. You're either going to need one, you're going to sure. be one. And now's the time to learn how to be a caregiver and how to take care of yourself so you don't burn out. Not after tragedy strikes and your loved one's disabled and now, you know, you don't have time to scratch your head, let alone learn how to be a caregiver. That's why I wrote my book. It's my life, too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity. So my contact information yep. is caregiverdave.com. There. There's a commercial. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Dell, I connected you with you on Twitter, but you're on Twitter. What other social media can we people connect, fans of yours, that – Want to know more what's going on with you, Dell? That's well, it's on Twitter. Twitter at Dell Wilkes, uh, all capital letters at Dell Wilkes. And then Facebook, uh, uh, Dell Wilkes. And then I've got a wrestling page, Dell the Patriot Wilkes, uh, on Facebook as well. I've got a website, DellThePatriotWilkes.com. And Dell is D E L, not D A L E. It's not mm. Dale, it's Dell. DellThePatriotWilkes.com is our website where we sell our merchandise, our masks, our pictures, our posters, uh, DVD. Uh, we did a documentary a couple of years ago, and we've got a three-disc DVD that we sell off the website as well. So all of our merchandise is at the website, DellThePatriotWilks.com, and then Dell Wilkes on Facebook, and at Dell Wilkes on Twitter. Awesome. You're fabulous, Dell. Thank you, Dell. Thank you, Dave. And guys, take care. Thank and Dell, I'll be in touch because I definitely want to continue uh, this uh, relationship um, uh, off of the air. So let's just stay connected, okay? Yeah. It Let me know if you ever guys. become a caregiver. It. We'll help you out. Okay. Thank you, All Dave. Right, I appreciate guys. it. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.